0: You know, there's a lot of news today in general when it comes to what we could have talked about on this podcast. And it was getting to a point to where as I was reading up on the news, I was like, what is the most important information to give to you all today? Well, there is some very interesting news to talk about in general. For instance, one thing we'll be talking about on today's podcast is how Joe Biden is going to be touting... how I how IBM plans to invest $20 billion in New York over the next decade. And this comes after news when Micron has announced two days ago that they're going to do, build a plant in New York to help build semiconductor chips as well. Ford has done the news as well. Ford apparently ha- is hiking its F-150 Lightning pickup. But what's interesting about it is that they're raising the price on it. And this is within less than two months. And we'll get into more details about that later. Okay. Okay. There's some layoffs that are happening across GE and also Peloton and what that potentially means for the market going forward, because as we've talked about in the past, layoffs are somewhat an indication of a recession in the making or we're in a recession. And finally, we got some news from the oil companies, uh, from OPEC Plus in particular, and how the U.S. isn't too happy about it, and in Washington, how it's a big blow to Joe Biden with the upcoming midterm elections coming up and how that... We'll talk a little bit today about how that might potentially affect the markets going forward. And with that being said, I have to remind you all at the beginning of each podcast, I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. Everything I talk about in this podcast is for information purposes only. You need to do your own research before investing in any company as you're not guaranteed to make money in the stock market. Please talk to your professional advisor before making any financial decisions as they would understand your financial situation a lot better than I would. I cannot legally give you financial advice in any way, shape, or form. And a disclosure, I do have a small position in IBM. It's a long-term position, but I do have a position in IBM, the company. With that being said, let's begin today's podcast. From the political side of the thing, from CNBC, Biden to tout IBM's plan to invest $20 billion in New York over the next decade. President Joe Biden on Thursday will tout IBM's corpse plans to invest $20 billion in New York over the next decade in development and manufacturing semiconductors, mainframe technology, artificial intelligence, and quantum computing. The announcement is the latest in a string of investments In since Biden signed the Chips and Science Bill in August and funded $52 billion to subsidize semiconductor chips manufacturing and research. The administration says hefty uh, subsidies for private businesses are necessary because China and the European Union, Union have been awarding billions in incentives to chip companies. Biden has sought to capitalize on the investment announcements ahead of next month's midterm congressional elections. Last month, he traveled to Ohio to speak to the site Intel's Corp's Plant $20 billion semiconductor manufacturing facility. On Tuesday, Micron Technology said it would invest up to $100 billion over the next 20-plus years to build a semiconductor fabrication facility in New York. That is expected to create nearly 50,000 jobs with the first-phase investment of $20 billion planned this decade. White House National Economic Director Brian Deese on Twitter called the Micron investment a significant win for the U.S. economic and national security and part of a deliberate long-term industrial strategy that will bolster U.S. competitiveness and increase our long-term productivity productive capacity. Biden will visit IBM's Poughkeepsie, uh, New York site, home of the largest concentration of quantum computers, and will be joined by chief executive of IBM. IBM said it plans to make uh, Poughkeepsie site a global hub of the company's quantum computing development. Just as it is today for mainframes, IBM did not provide a detailed breakout of its 20 billion investment plans. This continues on with the chips trend that we're seeing what i'm more still now curious to know and hopefully we can be able to talk about this in a future podcast soon is what is nvidia going to do what's qualcomm going to do as well i believe i think I, but nvidia in particular is the one i'm the most curious about is where are they going to make their plants i mean i didn't even know about the one in ohio for uh, intel which to be honest is a much better move in my opinion to move it more inland in the united states so good job intel for at least choosing a different state I mean, companies are going to choose where they want to be able to build their plants in the end, obviously how they can get their products and services out faster, how they can get the materials in faster. But it's still interesting to see that there's more and more of these companies announcing that they're going to be building these plants, which is good for the United States in the long run, because we need to be, there's certain things that should be made at home and chips are going to be one of them, especially since COVID revealed just how weak we would become if we had lost all our chips for being able not not to be able to make any of our stuff that we make that require chips so it's good news to see that ibm is now stepping forward now as the next company to allow chip making to happen in the united states but we're still going to keep an eye out for nvidia nvidia still hasn't announced anything as of the recording of this podcast and we hope to be able to read about their announcement soon now onto the next article ford hikes starting price for its electric f-150 lightning pickup for the second time in less than two months now this is kind of big news Because it could mean one of two things, either their bottleneck issues that they've been talking about in their past uh, reports that they've said, or maybe it's because they can't afford it. Or the third option that I'm thinking of is maybe they just can't get it in time or fast enough. Or there's no one working on making those products and services to be able to ship them to Ford. From Detroit, from CNBC, Ford Motor is increasing the starting price of his electric F-150 Lightning pickup by 5000 for the 2023 models. You're citing rising costs and supply chain issues. Like we just talked about. The new price of the 2023 Lightning Pro, an entry-level model meant that for commercial and business customers, will be 51974 up nearly 11% from the previous pricing and a 30% increase from the original 39974 price in May of 2021. In the email statement, Ford said, is adjusting the price due to ongoing supply chain constraints, rising material costs, and other mar- market factors. We will continue to monitor pricing across the model year. Current retail order holders and commercial and government customers with a scheduled order will be unaffected by the price increase, the company said. Oh, that's good to know. Ford made waves when it announced the starting price for the Lightning would be about 40000 making it more affordable than many EVs on the market. Wall Street praised the vehicle, and it was a major boost for the company at the time, and investors were concentrating on EV startups. But the critical raw material costs, such as Colbat, Nickel, and Lithium, have more than doubled during the coronavirus pandemic. According to the report from Alex Partners this summer, the cost increases and other supply chain problems which Ford exists uh, estimated would result in 1 billion unexpected costs during the third quarter have forced automakers to increase EV prices to retain profits. Less than 2 months ago Ford announced price increases of between 6,000 and 8,500 on the Lightning depending on the model. The starting price for the 2023 F150 Lightning will now range from 52,000 to 97,000. Jeez, that's a lot up from roughly 40000 to 92000 from the 2022 year model. Prices excluded tax and shipping and delivery costs. There's a way we can make this price go down for these pickup trucks. And we have talked about this in past podcasts, but if if the nickel problem or the, what was the material that they said in this article? Oh, Colbat. Colbat, nickel, and lithium. Some of those, some of those uh, resources that they need to make this truck can be found in South America in a lot of countries. I can't remember what exactly countries they were because it was so long ago that we talked about it on this podcast. But, and I'd advise go listening to it, but I believe it might've been Bolivia, but it was one of those South American countries. Like there was the biggest natural deposit of lithium down there. And it was bigger than China's. And that can be a huge boost. And it would probably also help cut down travel time to get the materials to the United States if they were to get it. But the thing is with the amounts of the South American countries is that they weren't currently getting the resource out of the earth. So if we want EVs to be the next big thing, we got to be able to start being able to figure out how to get those resources out of the South American countries. Now, I believe there's also some lithium deposits within the United States, and maybe we have to access it on our own too within the country. I can't quote myself on that fully on that. But there's, I can't believe a truck's gonna be costing close to 100000 at some, depending on which truck you get, that's insane. And but at least the being at the fifty-seven thousand dollar mark, just not worth it in my opinion. I'd rather keep having a gas vehicle. But I also live in a state where it's going to be illegal to have new gas vehicles by twenty thirty-five. So hopefully they can figure out a way to get gas uh, not gas get the uh, manufacturing of the car price down, so it becomes more affordable because. I don't think people are going to want to be buying an EV car for that much in the future. There's no way. Going on about layoffs. GE layoffs workers at onshore wind unit as part of turnaround strategy. General Electric is laying off workers at its onshore wind unit as part of the plan to restructure and resize the business, which is grappling with the weak demand, rising costs, and supply chain delays for sources familiar with the move said. The source said that the company on Wednesday notified employees in North America, Latin America, and the Middle East, and africa about the cuts it also plans to cut its onshore and wind workforce at a later date in europe and asia pacific the cuts are expected to affect 20 percent of the onshore wind units workforce in the united states they added this would equate to hundreds of workers one of the sources says ge confirmed to rudders it was streamlining its onshore wind business in response to the market realities but did not comment directly on any workforce cuts These are difficult decisions, which do not reflect on our employees' dedication and hard work, but are needed to ensure the business can compete and improve profitability over time. As a GE Renewables spokesperson said in an email statement, Onshore Wind is the largest of GE's renewable businesses, which total employed 38,000 people worldwide at the end of 2021. This unit, however, has been battling higher raw material costs due to inflation and supply chain pressures. So it's good to know. That's probably one reason why Ford's going through this as well. In the United States, which has been GE's most profitable onshore wind markets policy, uncertainly following the ex- expiry of renewable electric product uh, production tax credits last year, has hit customer demand, leading to a fall in the unit's revenue this year. GE not alone. High-in-competition, supply disruptions due to COVID-19 pandemic, and soaring metal prices exacerbated by the war in Ukraine have made it difficult for wind turbine makers to generate prof- profits, even as government and companies are calling for more renewable energy in the face of the climate change. Rival Simmons uh, last month unveiled a plan to cut 2,900 jobs, mostly in Europe, after issuing a string of profit warnings this year. Profit at Danish wind turbine maker uh, Vestas, Vestas has also taken a hit. The troubles of GE onshore and wind units, which accounted for 15% of the company's industrial sales last year, are also affecting the performance of its overall renewable energy business. And then towards the end of this article, it's saying, while the restoration of the tax credit for wind projects and is, is expected to give a boost to demand in North America, analysis expect GE international onshore wind sales to remain challenged due to high cost structure. I think it's funny that they have to make these tax incentives to make these projects to happen because if a government's having to say, we'll give you a tax incentive to do these projects, it just seems like there's really no demand. Maybe there's demand on the government side of, of things, but it just seems like if there was truly a demand with the public market in general, like with the average day Americans, then companies would find a way to make it cheaper in the long run instead of having to make tax incentives. I mean, it's just weird to think, but it's just food for thought. But on the other layoffs as well, too, it says Peloton is slashing 500 more jobs as a racist to return to growth. Now, I personally believe Peloton is done. I honestly do, okay? I think Peloton was great during the pandemic. I think a lot of people made a lot of money off of it because people were staying at home. There are people who wanted to work out. But I just think Peloton's days are kind of behind it. Let's read. Peloton is cutting around another 500 jobs in a move that CEO Barry McCarthy said should position the struggling fitness equipment maker to return to growth. The cuts, which which amount about 12% of Peloton's workforce, make a pivotal point for the company, MacArthur told CNBC on Thursday. Peloton already had a multiple rounds of layoffs this year. The restructuring is done with today's announcement, he said. Now we're focused on growth. MacArthur said the company now has to prove its recent state of strategy changes, including equipment rentals and partnerships with Amazon and Hilton can help it grow. Shares of Peloton were up 4% in the morning trading. The stock was down 76% so far this year. MacArthur took over CEO of Peloton early this year from the co-founder John Foley who has overseen drastic changes to its business model as the company struggled after a sales boom earlier in the COVID pandemic. A former Spotify Netflix executive, he has pushed the company business further into subscriptions while broadening the availability of its product beyond Peloton's direct-to-customer roots. Early this week, the company said it would put its bikes in every Hilton brand hotel in the United States. It recently announced partnerships to sell equity Dick Sporting Goods stores and on Amazon. Maybe another place they need to consider putting these Peloton bikes in general is... Maybe they need to get like they got to get a young superstar or just like maybe a YouTube influencer, too, could help be able to help Peloton grow. Okay, I mean, Peloton, I just don't like I said, I don't see a lot of growth coming from Peloton anymore. People are able to go back to the gyms. I mean, maybe it's cheaper than getting an actual gym membership. And that is one thing that Peloton would have over a a gym membership is a gym membership. You don't have to deal. You, if you have a gym membership, you have to deal with too many people and you have to fight over the machines. Peloton is another case. Here's an idea that might work. Maybe Peloton should work with 24 hour fitness and 24 hour fitness and LA fitness too. Can do live stream workouts, uh, sessions to, the, to, to the customer brand. Now, you what you could do, too, is charge a little bit of a fee for that as well. But you probably could do that. All you'd have to do is set up a recording, like a few cameras and stuff in a 24-hour fitness room. And then you can do live events. That might actually work. That might actually be the secret to Peloton growth again, maybe. It's funny how that just came up on the spot while talking about it. But that could potentially work. Because then you can get more people in your classes. If you like a certain instructor, you're going to spend more money to see that instructor live. That might be the answer. Maybe that's what they need to do. They need to get partnerships with 24-Hour Fitness and LA Fitness to be able to put cameras into their uh, their clubs. That, that might actually work. Good thing we said on this podcast, because that means now people will know if it actually happens. So... Going on to the next article now, and this is kind of the most important thing. And it's like we had predicted. We, we, we said that with OPEC happening, of them cutting by 2 million barrels a day, that we kind of had a prediction that Joe Biden was going to end up blaming OPEC next. I mean, he already blamed oil companies for the high price in gases. But now he it seems like the White House isn't too happy. From CNBC, the oil section. U.S. delivers angry rebuke of massive OPEC plus production cut, and it could backfire for Saudi Arabia. The White House angry pushback at OPEC plus after the oil producer announced its largest supply cut since 2020, lashing out what President Joe Biden's administration describes as a short-sighted decision. Energy analysis believe the deep production cuts could yet backfire for OPEC, kingpin and U.S. ally Saudi Arabia, particularly as Biden hinted Congress would soon seek to rein in the Middle East dominant group's influence over energy prices. OPEC and non-OPEC al- allies, a group often referred to as OPEC Plus, agreed on, Wednesday's, on Wednesday to reduce the oil production by 2 million barrels per day for, from November. The move is designed to spur recovery in crude prices, which could, which had fallen roughly $80 a barrel from more than $120 earlier in June. International benchmark brewed crude features trade at $93.55, a barrel during Thursday's morning deal in London, up around 0.2%. U.S. West Tech Intermittent Futures, meanwhile, stood around 87.81, almost 0.1% higher. The U.S. had reportedly called on energy alliances, including Russia, to pump more to help the global economy and lower... The U.S. has... Hmm, that's an interesting thought. The U.S. had repeatedly called on energy alliances, which includes Russia, to pump more to help the global economy and lower fuel prices ahead of the midterm elections next month. Wow. They... This is the same U.S. that puts sanctions on Russia. Wow. What, what a world we live in. In a statement, the White House said that Biden was disappointed by the short-sighted decision by OPEC Plus to cut production quotas while the global economy is dealing with the continued negative impact of Putin's invasion of Ukraine. It added that Biden had directly the part of energy to release another 10 million barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve next month. Oh, good. We're releasing more of our strategic oil into the market. And I think there's word that they're not refilling it either. Continuing on with the quote, it says, in light of today's action, the Biden administration will also consult with Congress on additional tools and authorities to reduce OPEC's control over energy prices, the White House said. Okay, I have a suggestion for you, President Joe Biden, even though you probably never listened to this podcast whatsoever. Maybe instead of relying on other nations, we should be drilling in our own country again. Oh, I have another idea too. Maybe it's time to open up that pipeline you shut down at the beginning. The first day of your presidency. Keystone, I think it was. Yes, it was Keystone. You, Your first day in office, you met an executive order saying to stop building the Keystone pipeline. Maybe it's time to reopen that Keystone pipeline. And maybe it's time to also allow U.S. companies to drill off the coast of Mexico and the Gulf of Mexico area, off the coast of California, off the coast of the East Coast, off of Alaska, in federal lands. And maybe we wouldn't be having this issue of OPEC cutting oil production because they want to make more money. It's not that hard. But he wants to make it as difficult, make a crisis so that people can just keep voting for the same people in. I mean the market's going to eventually just say enough about this. Eventually the market might even turn on the the policies that the White House is currently doing right now. Okay? The so strategist led by Heffman Croft at RBC Market Capital Markets said that the, while the US signal further strategic petroleum reserve releases were in the offing, they were unlikely to see another blockbuster release in the near term. A more clear risk in our view is the introduction of US uh, products export restrictions and the rising retail gasoline price environment analysis at rbc capital market said congressional action on no opec legislation also looks like a c- credible outcome in light of the national security council yeah the no opec thing is not going to work i mean it says here the u.s legislation which passed a senate committee in early may but has yet been signed law could expose opec countries and partners to lawsuits for orchestrating supply cuts that rise global Crude prices. Yeah, they're not going to care. You can send them as many lawsuits as you want. No, they're not going to care. They're not in the United States. US laws don't affect other countries in the end. So you can make these organizations about no OPEC and all that stuff. It's not going to do anything. OPEC doesn't care. When you're at the mercy of another country for their natural resources, this is the end result. And that's going to affect Joe Biden and his presidency going forward says here last thing we'll read today washington sees opec plus oil production cuts as a political blow against biden washington sees opec's plus decision to slash oil production by more than two million barrels a day as a political interference and a blow against u.s president joe biden said dan jurgen vice chair of s&p global on wednesday we don't need to worry about the cut there because we've already talked about a hundred times on this podcast but Continuing on, says, quote, this is seen as a first of all, a blow against Biden who came to Saudi Arabia. Secondly, it is somehow a political interfering in the U.S. election, although the cut doesn't go into effect until November. The decision, which was made at OPEC and OPEC's plus first in-person meeting in Vienna since 2020, would mark the biggest cut since the pandemic began. Biden visited the Saudi government in July in a bid to ramp up oil production and control soaring energy prices. Oil prices rose to a three-week high on Wednesday after the announcement following three days of rallying. The U. The West Texas Intermediate climbed 1.4% to 87.76 per barrel, while the Brent crude rose 1.7% to 30, to $93.37 a barrel in early trade. Now, there, CNBC is claiming that oil is a weapon. The OPEC Plus might find itself against the West with weaponized oil. Head of Economics and Strategy of Michio Bank in a note. He wrote that the oil supply cuts are seen as part, partly as a uh, protest uh, protestation of Russia oil price caps and confirms the organization's naked desire for privacy for price buoyancy, not just support. A production cut of around a million barrels a day would have led to price gains without compromising on volume, but the large reduction shows the group's disregard for economic woes of a geopolitical alignment with the global partners. Jurgen likewise said in a Agreement is seen as not in economic terms, but as seen as more political in nature. The decision also comes as the EU reached an agreement on capping Russian oil prices as part of the new sanctions package. The Russians have signaled in this case that other cases that they're going to do everything they can to frustrate a price cap on oil. And according to the article, it says this is a dangerous game. There seems to be a mini battle between strategic petroleum reserves in the White House and what's going on on the OPEC Plus, said Bill Perkins, CEO of Sky or Capital Management. In the end, OPEC Plus is going to win the battle and the strategic petroleum reserves will eventually run out of food. It can withdraw. So that dangerous game that we're playing there, he said a few weeks ago, the U.S. Energy Department announced it would sell up to 10 million barrels of oil and the SPR for delivery in November. Perkins added that the point that the group wants to make is that price signal signals from the markets aren't enough to induce the investment or supply response that it needs. Global oil prices skyrocketed more than 100 trillion dollars a barrel after the Russian-Ukraine war broke out. We're going to have some really dark times ahead, in all honesty. We can use... The whole point of the strategic petroleum reserves is in case we're at war. We're not at war. Well, apparently, we're not at war. We're not supposed to be. We're not even fighting the Russians right now. We're going to lose this battle. We are. Oil prices will continue to climb at some way. In my opinion, this isn't financial advice, obviously. I also believe, too, that we're going to see gas prices start going up even more. Even with the additional 10 million barrels released of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, it's going to just shake up the, the gas markets for the short term. This administration has no idea what they're doing. Actually, they do because two years ago they signed all these stupid laws to get rid of oil in the United States. And now this is the end result of it. It truly is. Okay. At least in my opinion, it truly is. But I mean, you can't rely on other countries. These This OPEC plus is going to bring the United States potentially down to its knees. It will because we're not drilling here. I believe we were in energy independent under President Trump for a while. And we're gonna feel it here in the states. We probably will. It's gonna get a lot worse before things get better. I mean, you can't rely on other countries. You just can't. Other countries, if, if literally you you gave the the power to OPEC Plus to determine the economic future of the United States, markets gonna go be in such turmoil potentially. Oil companies are gonna keep making money. And I'm going to say this again. Like I'll keep saying this until word gets out about this podcast and what we're talking about. But next time ExxonMobil, Chevron, all those companies released earnings, I see them making a lot of money. And if gas prices are super high during that time, you can probably see President Joe Biden say, oh, it's the greedy oil corporations that are causing gas prices to go up. Mm, no. Could it also be that... 2 million barrels per day are being cut from OPEC+. Could it also be that we shut down Keystone Pipeline? Could it be that we're not releasing new oil land to be able to drill? There's a lot of things. Policy affects the market in every way, shape, or form. Whether people want to admit it or not, there's a whole other story. So... I'll leave it out there. With that being said, thank you so much for listening to this podcast today, fellow podcast listeners. I hope you have enjoyed it. If you had, please like and subscribe to this podcast. Every like and subscription that we get can help grow this podcast so we can be able to keep spreading the message about what's happening in the market and what Wall Street is willing to talk about versus what they're not willing to talk about all the time. And we'll try our best to cover it on this channel as much as possible. Please also share with friends or family as they might enjoy this podcast as well and be able to help grow this channel as fast as possible so we can be able to keep talking about these events. With that being said, fellow podcast listeners, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast today. Thank you, and goodbye.